Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast. On today's podcast is special guest Jessica Spenlove, one of the most respected and sought after sports dietitians in Australia. With an impressive resume, including a Bachelor of Science Nutrition at the University of Wollongong and a Master's of Nutrition and Dietetics at the University of Sydney, Jess currently works with many professional sporting teams, including the Greater Western Sydney Giants in AFL, the Giants Netball Team, Super Netball, the Western Sydney Warriors, A-League, the Cronulla Sharks, NRL, and the Sydney Kings NBL, and most recently, the New South Wales Waratahs and Super Rugby. In her work with elite athletes, Jess works across all areas of nutrition, hydration, supplementation, and body composition. Outside of her work in high-performance sport, Jess works with motivated individuals and corporates to help them optimize their health and performance on the sporting field, in the boardroom, and in everyday life. Jess also regularly contributes to the media for expert comments on various nutrition-related areas and works with brands. In 2017, she was awarded the Emerging Media Presence Award by the Sports Dietitians Australia. This podcast with Jess will be split into two episodes. The first episode today, we will discuss how to improve energy levels and prevent illness. With the global threat of the coronavirus exploding worldwide, this is a very timely podcast where we will discuss how to use nutrition to prevent and manage illnesses such as colds. We also discuss what a day in the life of a sports dietitian looks like, how to improve energy levels throughout the day, how to maximize energy levels during exercise, our top tips for recovering from and preventing illness, keto diets, carbs, and upper respiratory tract infections, and which supplements actually work for the common cold and flus. Sit back, strap in, and let's prepare for today's amazing podcast with Jessica Spenlove. Welcome, Jess, to the podcast. I'm so excited. This one has been a long time coming. You and me are not great with technology, but we got there in the end, and I'm very excited to have you on as our advanced sports dietitian today, talking all about energy, illness, and supplementation. Thank you for having me, and yes, apologies for all of the technical issues. <laughs> We're an example of persistence. We, we got there in the end. <laughs> exactly. Now, I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about your journey to becoming a sports dietitian. What made you step into that field of sports nutrition and why is it so interesting um, to you? Sure. I guess um, for me, I was a teenager doing a lot of sport. Um, at school, I really liked science and math. So I always thought I'll probably do something in this sporty, sciencey space and probably thought for a while I wanted to be a physio or something like that. And then I was referred to go and see a sports dietitian um, who was an incredible lady who has actually just recently passed away, um, Helen O'Connor. So Uh, Yeah, she was absolute inspiration, but she was my sports dietitian. And after going to see her, she not only helped me, I guess, with my energy and immunity and fueling for all the training that I was doing, but she helped me go, okay, yeah, this food and sport thing is actually really cool. And, you know, I love those two things, but I want to do that for the rest of my life. So, yeah, decided pretty early on that's what I wanted to do and then went to uni and um, as most people would know, there's not too or anyone studying diet, um, dietetics anyway, there's not all that much sport um, in the, the base kind of four or five year 
course or two degrees. So, um, yeah, very much through that it was looking for any opportunity to connect with anyone that was sports-related, um, taking electives related to that and then doing a research project um, in a sports-related area, which it's funny how the universe works. It ended up being uh, with Helen O'Connor and um, I guess a little bit serendipitous and then from there just stayed in touch with her, kind of took any and every opportunity after that. And, um, yeah, after being out for about three years and working in a hospital and, yeah, just saying yes to everything, I got my first opportunity at the Cronulla Sharks, which was um, I think seven or eight seasons ago now and the rest has kind of been history. So, yeah, food, sport and travel, love them all. So it all worked out really well. So that's what attracted me to it. Mm, we sound like soul sisters. That was exactly what I wanted to do. I started off being a physio. <laughs> I did a week of placement at the, phys- uh, the sports physio clinic and a week of bending over beds being this tall and massaging and that sort of thing. I was like, my hands are not <laughs> strong enough. I'm too tall. My back is not good. I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. What about food? I love food. <laughs> So very similar paths, except that I landed more in um, clinical dietetics and you forged an amazing career in sports dietetics. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's, um, you know, started out in clinical though, which I'm really thankful for. I think mm. going straight into sport, I mean, athletes are humans as well. And even though you're working with them in those building muscle or fueling or recovery or hydration or whatever it might be, there's still going to be clinical or um, foundational gut issues or potentially, you know, diabetics, that type of thing. So having that clinical foundation and that knowledge and that skill set and also just an environment which is conducive to working in a team and probably not as fast-paced and high-pressure. Well, I can definitely say it's not as fast-paced and high-pressure in the, the clinical hospital setting as it is in elite sport, but it was a really nice pathway and a way to kind of ease my way in, learn who I was as a dietitian a little bit, and then I guess yeah, have that opportunity to apply it in the sports sense. So yeah, it all worked out. Um, Yeah, really happy with it all. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Clinical dietetics is a great base and foundation for any dietitian. But tell us, what does a typical day in the life of a sports dietitian look like for anyone at home who might be considering um, doing this as a career or considering even potentially going and seeing a sports dietitian? Uh, I guess the first thing is there is no such thing as a uh, as a typical day. And <laughs> I guess you know if you work in private practice, it might look a little bit different to working in team sport, which is where I spend the majority of my time. But um, um, I guess, you know, depending on the time of year, if it's pre-season, in-season, off-season. So at the moment, it is the back end of pre-season. We were talking before and they've been very long days and it's all systems go. So um, while every day is a little bit different for me, I like to start my day the same, which helps me kind of, you know, I guess centre myself and do what I need to do. So waking up very early, 5.05, the alarm goes off at the moment and there's 10 minutes of meditation, coffee, workout, a good breakfast and then 7 o'clock I'm ready to go. So if I am at um, the AFL, it might be putting out supplements, um, making sure the breakfast is ready, making sure everything's ready to go for training, like a fueling station, a hydration station. Sometimes it's testing their hydration before training, which uh, which is the non-glamorous side. So that is urine testing. <laughs> um, and then um, during training, sometimes I'm out on the field making sure they're getting their drinks, getting their supplements, um, if anyone's cramping, dealing with that, making sure there's a recovery station for after. And then in and around that, there's meetings with other high-performance staff, chefs, hotels, some of them in person, some phone calls. There's budgeting, there's ordering, there's unpacking. Um, There's everything, I guess, involved in the whole process of what they eat, what they drink from ordering it, budgeting it, 
educating them and then also making sure it's out and available for them to consume while they're at the club. So yeah, that's a little bit of an overview. (laughs) Wow. No wonder you've been so busy. (laughs) (laughs) And there's lots of meetings with Chloe at some point in there as well, my business partner. So I know you had her on a few weeks ago. So uh, yeah, we talk at some point or a few points throughout the day as well about all of the things. <laughs> Amazing how you ladies fit that time in. Jess and Chloe run Health Performance and Collective together um, and we'll be putting the, the links in the show notes so anyone can go and check that out if they'd want some consultations with these incredibly gifted and um, and educated ladies. So now I'd love to talk a little bit more about um, sports and backgrounds and supplements, but we're going to bring you back for a second podcast to do that. Today, I really want to drill down in terms of energy and illness prevention because I feel like it's something that is um, so apparent in so many people, particularly if you're under fueling, you're overtraining. And even just this time of year, you know, we've got this huge coronavirus outbreak worldwide. People are kind of freaking out about essentially just the flu. Um, So I'd really love to pick your brains in terms of injury um, and illness prevention and also um, improving energy throughout the day. So I'm sure that you get a lot of athletes or even just general clients who aren't high level athletes who come to you because they're just constantly tired throughout the day and they experience what a lot of clients call energy dips throughout the day. So I'd love to know, Jess, your top tips to improve energy levels throughout the day for our everyday athletes, but also just for our general population. People like myself who, you know, I'm not an, I'm not an athlete, but I do like to exercise and stay active and stay healthy. Well, I think the good thing there, Leanne, is like what I'm about to tell you is the exact same conversation I would have with an athlete. And, um, you know, to be honest, I think a lot of people who are, are striving to be their best or do a lot of things like the principles are across the board for everyone, which maybe I should sell that a little bit differently. But yeah, inside <laughs> scoop, they kind of apply to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess the first thing is I, you want to front foot the day. So how are you starting your day? A lot of people um, that report these energy dips when I kind of drill down and ask questions on what their routine is, how they're eating, what their consistency is, there might more times than not, there is no consistency. So they might be skipping breakfast. They might be having breakfast on the go. They might sometimes have it, sometimes not. It's all over the shop. So I guess the first conversation is how are you starting the day um, having a good high-protein, whole-grain, high-fibre-style breakfast? It doesn't have to be um, you know, a sit-down eggs-on-toast situation. I mean, if it can, great. There's a lot of things that you can do like smoothies, with some oats, with a little bit of banana, with some, you know, some Greek yogurt or some protein powder, you can get what you need in all different ways, shapes and forms. So I guess that's um, part of the conversation. It's also looking at, yeah, what they're doing before that energy dip happens. So you're kind of nearly wanting to prevent that. Um, Protein, which I know you talk about a lot, getting those consistent hits across the day, which is part of your appetite control, which can have a really big impact on these energy dips. And then also, if you're somebody that is working pretty hard and training pretty hard and you are maybe trying to lose a little bit of weight, looking at what you're eating and when. So I so often see people training hard through the week, under eating to try and get that um, body composition change. And then on the weekend, they're not training and they're overeating and, and that kind of flow is out when realistically it needs to really be the other way around. You need to give your body what it need, need when it needs it. And when it's resting, that's when you can pull back. So I just find often people are not getting that flow. Um, And it doesn't have to be perfect. It's definitely not about that, but it's just about matching it a little bit better. And I find that has a massive, massive impact on um, energy dip. And then, of course, sleep and rest. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, 
you know, I'm not going to go into that too much, but if you're not getting enough sleep and you're not resting, obviously that's going to impact. But yeah, they're probably my, um, my top tips from a nutrition point of view. And then also hydration. So um, last but not least, I guess. So 60% of our body is made up of um, water. So if we're constantly dehydrated, that is literally impacting every single cellular function in our body, including our mental alertness, our concentration, and of course, our overall energy levels. So yeah, there are some pretty good places to uh, to start. Definitely. Yeah. And you mentioned in, in the start that one of your um, not so glamorous jobs as part of a sports dietitian is testing urine of players. Is that because hydration is so important for athletes even before they begin their training session? Yes, definitely. So you're always wanting to start a session hydrated and then during a session, you're wanting to kind of minimize the amount that you're losing. So not more than two percent um but that two percent rule only applies again if you are starting hydrated so if you're starting dehydrated again you're starting on the back foot you're already not going to be optimizing um, your hydration levels you're going to fatigue quicker um because i guess that's one thing when we're dehydrated our um heart has to actually pump harder to pump our blood through our system which then causes that fatigue to happen a lot quicker so um, starting hydrated and then you're yeah, not losing too much in a big session. Mm-hmm. And that's for everybody, not just athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you mentioned starting hydrated, I'm picturing, you know, just the normal everyday chick who um, might be going to a CrossFit session or like an F45 session at like 5am in the morning. So if there's someone who's waking up, obviously they're not going to scale two liters of water before they go and train. Um, do you think it's important to have, you know, maybe just even a glass of water or something before they're hitting that super early morning session? It's a lot easier to get adequate hydration in throughout the day, but if they're coming off a eight, nine hours sleep and then heading straight into the gym, do you feel like it's important to, or how would you measure hydration status in someone who trains quite early on in the morning? Definitely. If they're training early, I mean, a really good habit to get into um, the habit of is is having a water bottle with you in the car on the way or having a glass of water when you wake up. Um, I mean, hydration status isn't necessarily just about what's happened in the last few hours it's about what's happened that 24 hours before so again coming back to that energy dip if you're someone that doesn't eat a lot and doesn't drink a lot that first half of the day and then you're playing catch-ups aside from an energy dip it's probably going to impact your hydration so just getting in that habit of having that kind of at least a glass of water with each meal and then definitely a glass before your training and then having a bottle with you so I mean the easiest way to check our hydration is the color of our, our urine. I mean, most people aren't walking around with the fancy little measuring things that I have, refractometers, but it's a really good quick feedback system. And if that um, that very first waking uh, wee of the morning is quite dark, that's a reflection that what you've done the day before um, is a little bit under. So yeah, hopefully that's uh, some starting points. Love it. Love all the glamorous tips so far as well. <laughs> Checking our urine. <laughs> now, um, you mentioned something that um, just brought me to another thought um, when you said, you know, it's really important for consistency throughout the day, which is something that I harp on about um, just as part of a healthy living journey. But for people who um, I'm picturing summertime at the moment, like it's super hot, you have a really hard training session and that can impact your appetite as well. And you mentioned it's really important to get consistent amounts of protein throughout the day. If there's somebody who's getting up super early to train and then they're heading straight off to work, but they've had this really intense, huge run or swim or session or something, and they're just not feeling hungry. I have a lot of ladies saying to me, you know, I'm 
practicing some intermittent fasting. I'm training at 5 a.m. I'm not eating till 12 o'clock. Can you explain to our listeners the the detriments in terms of energy, but also just refueling your body from long periods of um, essentially fasting, whether or not they mean to? Some people just fast um, indirectly because they're just not hungry. They're so kind of exhausted and fatigued after their session or they're rushing off to work and they're so busy at work, they don't even think about food. It's such an important point that you bring up because, again, another conversation I'm having all the time with everybody, elite athletes, corporates, whoever, our body's actually programmed to tell us the opposite of what it needs. So if we're about to go for a big run or, you know, even an intense session, like, and we might be a bit nervous about it, well, that reduces our appetite. And then during that session, we exert ourselves and we're working at high intensity, our lactate levels are up, and then that can suppress our appetite plus some other hormones. So if anything, we're actually told to eat the opposite of how we need to. So I guess the first point is understanding that. And then, like you said, having some strategy. So liquids are a really good option to kind of override that. Um, I often find with people that are not used to eating something after training, well, the conversation, well, the conversation I have with them is that you train to get fitter, faster, stronger, or whatever you're trying to achieve. You actually need to train your body to get used to taking on the food that it needs to take on after those sessions. So starting with something is always going to be um, better than starting with nothing. And um, I think that's just create the habit and then improve it. So, yeah, like a smoothie, um, if that's not something that's practical, I love those little yogurt pouches and a piece of fruit. There you get a nice hit of protein and a nice um, refueling of carbohydrates. So it might not be exactly what the textbook says, 20 grams, whatever, but it's definitely better than you're not eating for the next six hours and then you're at lunch and all of a sudden your your appetite's out of control or your energy's um, dipping. So I guess that's the first part of it. The second thing is um, I guess fasting is very in and a lot of people are, are playing around with it, but um, if you are a morning trainer, I would not, and depending on the type of training, like if you go to Pilates or yoga and it's not particularly um, strenuous on the body, then potentially that might be an appropriate time to fast. Um, but if you're someone that's gone and done yet yeah, a CrossFit or F45 or a big swim or run or whatever, putting something in after that training session is not only going to help you recover, refuel, it's also going to improve your energy across the day. And it's also going to reduce your risk of getting sick. So we do know that um, nutrition and immunity is, is really um, strongly linked aside from a few other big rocks like sleep and hygiene. Um, but yeah, you're actually going to get more out of your body, more out of your energy, recover and also reduce your risk of illness. So yeah, sometimes we need to override our, our body and the systems that it has in place to tell itself, well, no, we're actually we're actually smarter than you. We know that we need to get something. It's just getting creative and, and looking at ways to get something in. So hopefully that answers that question. Yeah, definitely couldn't agree more. And I love giving our <laughs> listeners um, really practical take uh, sort of take-home tips. In terms of timing around that, they now know how incredibly important it is to get something in after um, a moderate to an intense workout. Um, what sort of timing are you looking at? I generally recommend to people 45 to 60 minutes after their workout aiming to get in, um, you know, gold standard, that 25, 30 grams of protein. But as you said, um, anything is better than nothing. So even if there's someone who really never eats for a couple of hours, just trying to get in something small like a yogurt or a, even just a glass of milk would be um, beneficial to start with. But are you in agreement around that sort of 45, 60 minute time frame after training? Yeah, definitely. If you're someone that's um, training once a day, 45 to 60 minutes is more than enough. If you are somebody training twice a day um, for whatever reason, hopefully not overtraining, obviously, but depending if you're, you know, training for, I don't know, a 
weekend warrior Ironman style thing or something. Um, we do want to try and make that within that 30-minute window. But, yeah, if you just once a day, 60 minutes is fine, which I guess, again, for most people, if they're training in the morning, well, then they can maybe wait that 45 to 60 minutes, make something at work. Maybe they've got access to make this smoothie or make a, a Greek yogurt bowl or, or, you know, maybe they can eggs in the microwave style situation with some of the nifty little poach things that are out there at the moment and, and all of a sudden like they're hitting what they need their appetites um more conducive to eating more and um yeah it's just like it's less stress on everybody mm, love it so so far our tips in terms of improving energy is making sure that you're um fueling and hydrated going into your session and also fueling appropriately after your session and getting in that regular intake throughout the day and you mentioned consistency is so important what about if somebody is really flagging with their energy throughout the workout itself so what if somebody might be doing a class at the gym or um any sort of style class like resistance hit sort of class that's sort of 45 to 60 minutes long they get to sort of that last 15 20 minutes of that class and the trainer's going give me everything you've got and they're passed out on the floor and they're like i've got nothing left what would be if their energy is really dipping throughout the session i'm not talking like a one-off i'm talking about consistently what would be your recommendations for those types of people um i guess first of all you want to look obviously at the bigger picture like again sleep energy overall what's happening are we getting enough of that are we resting um if it's purely they're doing these intense workouts and they're they're wanting to do them fasted but then their energy levels are dipping well then it's about looking at what can they have before to get them through that session so for me there's two things that i would consider using and or recommend one um is caffeine um definitely shown to have a performance benefit it um essentially enables you to work at 100 percent for about 97 to 95 percent so it, it reserves some energy so that's a really great um tip and who doesn't love a, a coffee or a, a shot of espresso or something like that mm-hmm. um and then the second thing is a little bit of carbohydrate so a banana like grab go having it on the way even half a banana so um you know people fearing carbs and all of this again if you're giving your body what it needs when it needs it it's actually going to use it better and then it's going to control your appetite more later on and you're actually going to get more out of that training session so a little bit of caffeine and maybe a little bit of carbohydrate is probably something to to start trying if you're someone always energy dipping in a pretty intense workout that goes for 45 to 60 minutes love it and again in terms of practical recommendations is it generally around a 15 gram sort of serving of carbohydrate yeah it's um depending on the person and their goals i'd say 15 to 30 so half a banana is 15 grams yeah or a slice of toast Mm -hmm. or half a slice of toast or something Mm -hmm. yeah one of my favorite um things to use pre-workout is a medjool date like the bigger types of dates you just take the pit out i love them i have two on leg day and i have one on an upper body day so again are you a fan of using a little bit more a little bit less carbohydrate depending on the intensity of the workout so like an upper body day compared to a lower body like a big leg session or maybe a crossfit style workout compared to you just going out for a 5k run which you know for most people isn't too strenuous yes 100 percent. looking at the type of training that you're doing and then also your own individual goals but yeah the more you can just make those little tweaks and they might not sound like much but in application and then in results those little tweaks are often where people get the biggest bang for buck so yep 
one date or two dates or half a slice of toast or one full slice or half a banana or a full banana, it really makes a massive difference for your performance and then potentially those body composition um, results people might be after as well. Mm, definitely, because actually training with a little bit of fuel on board helps you to get fitter, faster, stronger, as you mentioned, whereas a lot of people don't eat because they're trying to, I don't know, you know, a lot of social media has told us you get into this fat burning state if you're training on an empty stomach. But for a lot of people, particularly under a harder or more intense workout, training with fuel or carbs on board is actually um, more beneficial long-term, isn't it? Definitely. And also like a lot of these recommendations, I'm not above any of these. I'm sure you've, you know, even been in situations at times in the past where you've gone into a session, whether it's been just life or disorganized or you thought, oh no, I'm not really hungry. Like I'm a morning trainer, pretty early morning. So um, I definitely notice the difference within myself. And then I sit there going, what am I doing? I, I'm, I'm recommending this. I know exactly what I need to be doing. So <laughs> even just trial the difference that it makes. Um, but yeah, I think people need to not look at something as so black and white, like a banana is this many calories and, and this much. You need to look at it as what it's going to do for my performance and then then the flow on effect of that. So um yeah, I definitely find that everything is not so um, rigid and black and white. It's it's not what's happening in the that meal or that day. It's what's happening that week, that month, that year. Definitely. And if you're sitting listening at home thinking, I hate bananas, why does she just keep saying bananas? It can actually be any piece of fruit. So any type of fruit <laughs> is a great serve of carbohydrate, yes. even a little bit of dried fruit as well. Um, you just don't want to have too much of it because some people with a sensitive tummy could um, – experience a little bit of sensitive tummies throughout their workout but like a small serving of any type of fruit is is more than appropriate isn't it yeah definitely dried apricots dried apples um any little bit of dried fruit definitely even just a couple of sips of juice um pre-workout could again mean that difference between you lasting that whole session and giving it a hundred percent versus you burning out halfway through or not being able to sort of finish it at your capacity exactly all right i'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about um illness prevention as we mentioned the coronavirus is um kind of rampant worldwide it's a little bit scary but we've just come out of a last year was a particularly nasty flu season in Australia pretty much everybody I knew got taken down with some sort of flu um, I'm a generally a very healthy person I rarely get sick I hadn't got sick for probably nearly two years and it hit me so bad at the beginning of this year I was sick pretty much nearly the whole of January and I was like what is going on but when I stopped back and reflected a little bit I was like I'm not sleeping as well I've taken on a little bit too much work my nutrition hasn't been that great through January I've stopped meal prepping we were eating out a bit more just for the convenience sake and so I'm sure all of that comes into play when we're talking about illness um, illness prevention. So I'd love to hear about your top tips in terms of preventing um, illness, in terms of like the flu and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, look, nutrition is, is definitely a big rock in this space. I think most importantly, um, good nutrition or even some little extra um, supplements, which we'll touch on as well, are not going to override poor hygiene and someone not sleeping or resting. Um, so hygiene and sleep, rest and recovery are always going to be number one, two, and three, and all the various things that sit under that. Um, mental fatigue um, would sit in that space as well. But from a nutrition point of view, what we know, I guess going back to the, the carbohydrate um, in and around training, uh, aside from making you have more energy and maybe get more out of your training session, we know that 
it can also reduce the risk of the common cold or ERTs, upper respiratory tract infections. So training with a little bit of carbohydrate on board um, before or depending on the the duration and and intensity of a session, um, potentially having some during but definitely after can reduce that risk of getting sick. So another win for carbohydrates in and around training there. Um, And then the second um, or one of the other points is micronutrient adequacy. So, you know, having enough of your fruits and veggies, we know that most Australians are not getting enough um, veggies. So I think it's like 5 or 6% of the population. And that doesn't even take into account people doing extraordinary or extraordinary things. So if you're someone that consistently trains, getting five serves is probably the absolute minimum that we're looking at. So Carbohydrates first, um, micronutrient adequacy, um, particularly getting your, your veggies. So another win or sell for that. And then also um, we know that there's a role in that protein and that consistency across the day and, and particularly in that recovery space from training, but then also just that appetite control and adequacy, which can can lead to those better decisions. So, yeah, they're probably my top three nutritional tips there. And then little things like, you know, cooking with your herbs and spices and your ginger and your garlic. And, and they're all like little niceties and extra things to add in there. But, um, yeah, they're your big three nutrition rocks for immunity. Mm, definitely. And hydration. Sorry, we're leaving off <laughs> hydration. We keep Hydration is just a, a golden nugget for kind of anything and everything when it comes to, to health and performance. So um, we know that being dehydrated can kind of speed up or exacerbate the um, the spread of, of whatever virus it might be. So being hydrated, um, yeah, is going to help minimise that that as well. But um, so yeah, there's four, there's kind of four, <laughs> four points there, not three. Mm. And I love how you mentioned hydration again, because for a lot of people, they say to me, "What is hydration?" You know, I drink two liters of water a day, but like I'm six, I'm nearly six foot one, and I train, you know, four, five, six times a week on a good week. And for me, two liters is nowhere near enough. And I think what most people need to understand is that there are general recommendations for the population, but if you fall anywhere outside of average or general, which I would say most people do, particularly if you're listening to this podcast, then you really need to look at more of an individualized approach because you can't just say that I drink eight glasses of water a day and that's enough. And as you mentioned, looking at the color of your urine first thing in the morning is actually a really good indication of are you hydrated because you might need four liters a day versus you might only need a liter and a half if you're um, a very tiny human. (laughs) Exactly. And it's kind of like start with the minimum and then what can you do to kind of personalize or individualize? So do you need to go see somebody or you know can you tune into like a a podcast like this and listen to some key tips and and tricks and and like apply them to your everyday so a nice little tip in that space um before and after training is weighing yourself so if you're a sweaty person or you know it's really hot like you said at the moment in Australia so we we tend to sweat a fair bit more when it's humid um in particular but also when it's hotter and um, so weighing yourself before and after and then replacing one and a half times what you've lost in a session is also another way that you can start to personalise those um, hydration uh, levels and, and your fluid balance. So there's a little another little tip. Great. And plain water is absolutely enough, isn't it? Bearing in mind that the majority of the listeners to this podcast are just general population, everyday athletes. So we're not high level athletes. We don't need to be going and chugging down Gatorades and Powerades and, you know, um, electrolyte type drinks. Water is more than adequate for the majority of people to rehydrate after a session, isn't it? And throughout the day. Definitely, definitely. It's um, most people, even a lot of elite athletes, to be honest, don't really need some of those sports drinks like 99% of the time. So, um, yeah, water, 
water, water, water always. Mm. Is it the reason that they're plugged so much and it, it, I guess the general population sees all these athletes drinking them so much, is that more to do with sponsorship than the actual need for the athletes to have them? Definitely. I mean, athletes have requirements depending on the types of sports that they need. They do need carbohydrates and they do need electrolytes, but there's so many different ways to go about that. And um, a lot of your major sports in Australia are sponsored by um, sports drink um, brands. So there is a a big push for that. Um, I guess for those top end athletes, a sports drink is a way of ticking off those three things, fluid, um, um, carbohydrate and electrolytes all in one kind of option. Um, so during like a game or during competition, it might be appropriate, but outside of that, it's just, you know, I kind of cringe or, you know, die a little bit when I see just people walking down the street (laughs) and and drinking them. And I just think, oh my goodness, it's the same as, it's the same as a soft drink. Um, the sugar. So yeah, your teeth. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So hear this, everybody at home. Unless you're an elite Australian level cricketer and you're out on the field in the hot Australian sun for you know nine hours fielding during the Test match, you probably don't need that Gatorade or that Powerade. Um, we'll probably never have Gatorade or Powerade sponsorship on this podcast because of this statement. But I'm okay with that, Jess. <laughs> there is a time and a place, and for most people, there's no time and place. <laughs> <laughs> now, great. You mentioned um, something about carbohydrates and upper respiratory tract infections as well um and a lot of people again keto diet is a big buzzword there are a lot of people saying to me oh carbs are bad i shouldn't eat them i've got such great results of a ketogenic diet can you um dive deeper a little bit more into the recommendations around carbohydrates and respiratory tract infections do you know any more about that about how that might work or why it does assist yeah well there's a few things there i guess directly and and indirectly so um and you're probably more um well researched in talking about the indirect but um your prebiotic fibers and and gut health and and everything we know in that space about the role of um gut bacteria and how healthy um your gut is in the relationship with your immune system so i guess that's more from that indirect approach um which i'm not going to go too much into but Directly, we know that um, stress on the body increases the risk of illness and infection. And when you're training, you are putting your body under stress, which a little bit of stress is a good thing, but then it's kind of like how do you bring your body back into equilibrium so that stress doesn't lead to anything further like a like a yeah common cold or illness or infection. So um, controlling blood sugar levels during training and also um, reducing um, cortisol post-session is something that um, we're keen to do so that that stress response from training doesn't lead to anything further. And the number one nutrition tip in how to then manage your blood sugar levels in and post-session um, as well as cortisol is that consumption of carbohydrate um, for an intense, like extended duration session, like a 90 minute, two hour type thing, like which probably isn't a lot of people, um, maybe not applicable, but definitely in that immediate 30 to 60 minutes after. So yeah, that's, um, I guess a little bit there about why not getting the right nutrition in particular carbohydrate and why these ketogenic diets or high fat diets or really anything that's promoting low carbohydrate might actually um, not really work for your health um, or your immune system short or long term. Mm, love it. And when you mentioned um, the carb link between gut health and immunity, we've definitely talked about that on the podcast before, how your gut health is so influential on your um, immunity status, but it's also the type of carbohydrate, isn't it? So we need to be very clear that we're not talking about you chowing down a bag of lollies or candy after the session or going and having a huge soft drink. You're really going to improve your gut health from eating those whole foods, high fiber, prebiotic types of foods, aren't you? So 
like a big bowl of rolled oats with a bit of fruit and nuts and protein um, at breakfast time instead of, um, you know, going home and having like jam on white toast or something like that. It's really the quality of the carbohydrate, isn't it? Definitely. Quality is very, very, very important. And it's why we just can't lump carbohydrates all together. So your whole grain, high fiber, prebiotic, um, rich carbohydrates, trying to get those at all times um, or for the, for the listeners here at every single kind of meal. They're definitely the priority. Mm, love it. And then lastly, just really um, talking about that injury prevention standpoint as well, we've talked about how to prevent injury, but if someone finds that they've come down with um, an illness like a cold or um, the flu or something like that, there is a little bit of research around um, zinc supplementation, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. So that kind of first um, sign of a cold or upper respiratory, you know, your glands are a bit swollen, your throat's a bit um, scratchy. If you can start a zinc supplementation um, within 24 hours of those symptoms starting, it's actually found that it can halve the onset and the duration of those symptoms. So zinc, um, at first sign of that common cold, is something that you really want to supplement with. Um, Some other ones like echinacea, vitamin C, like the evidence isn't as conclusive as what zinc is, um, but definitely no harm in in using those as well. And, um, I mean, absolutely no connection or sponsorship or anything, but obviously Armour Force is a a product out there which is really good. It incorporates the the three of them. Um, I will say elite athletes can't use it at the moment. It's not tested um, by third-party batch testing, but you know, I definitely use that when I start to get a little bit cold because I know, I'm sorry, when I start to feel like I'm coming down with something um, because it's got all of those key ingredients, including that zinc. Definitely. And in terms of the amount, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 75 milligrams a day for the zinc, isn't it? At the very first sign of the cold? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also read, I'm not sure if you're the right person to ask, but I was reading about um, they recommend zinc as a lozenge so that it almost coats the bacteria in the mouth instead of using it as like a tablet. They recommended the zinc lozenges in um, one of the research studies that I was recommending. Have you heard of that or have you read that at all? Yes, that is um, that is the preferred, I guess, dose um, or method in which um, you ingest it but I guess like having the zinc in the correct dosing um, if that is not something that you can access or find is definitely going to be um, a better option as well so um, but yes that's correct okay great my mantra 10% better if you can't no one's going to do it perfectly but just aim for that little bit better (laughs) so zinc in any form will be beneficial if you find yourself coming down with a cold (laughs) yeah Yeah, and in that dosing as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jess. That was a very, very insightful and wonderful chat regarding um, improving your energy levels throughout workouts and during the day and also how to prevent and um, reduce the severity of colds and illness as well. So I can't wait to get you back to talk all about supplementation. We're going to be talking about protein powders, BCAAs, caffeine, omega-3, and maybe even some creatine if I have enough time to pick your brain. So I can't wait to bring you back for the second podcast. So everyone make sure that you tune into that one. And just before you go, Jess, can you tell us where we can reach out and find you? Social media, can we send you an email? What's your website if we would like to book in a consultation with you? Um, yes, sure. We're on all of those platforms um, as uh, as everybody is these days. But Instagram is a bit of a fave. So um, whether it's uh, my business one, health underscore performance underscore collective, or my personal one, which is Jess underscore spendlove underscore dietitian. So connect. DM, whatever. Um, if you want to send me an email, jess at healthandperformancecollective.com um, or website is um, jessicaspenlove.com or healthandperformancecollective.com. So, um, yeah, that's how you can connect. And um, please sing out if there's anything that you want to ask or 
if you want to, yeah, connect on any any of the things that we've discussed today. Wonderful. And Jess does an awesome segment. It's on a Friday, isn't it, Jess, where you talk about some really topical issues around <laughs> nutrition and sports. I definitely tune in on Fridays just to see that. Are you still doing that on your Instagram stories? Uh, yes, the Friday uh, the Friday spiel, um, which is a bit of a story behind why we say spiel like spiel. But anyway, but um, <laughs> I haven't actually done it for a few months, just um, pre-season, very, very long uh, weeks and days. But um, I will be starting it back up when the season starts, so probably mid-March. Um, but, yeah, it got really great engagement. So I guess people enjoying it made me continue doing it. And um, all things nutrition, sports staff, general staff, a um, bit of life hacks sometimes in there. So, yes, I will uh, let you know when that starts up again. But probably about mid-March. Amazing. So guys, jump on over to Jess's Instagram, Jess Spenlev Dietitian, and go and hound her to get those um, Friday spiels up a little bit sooner than March because <laughs> they're really amazing. But <laughs> just really quickly, um, do you offer consultations online? And so if someone's not in um, Sydney where you ladies are, can they see you online? And it's not just high-level athletes. You do see um, any sort of type of population, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the thing with me is I like to work with um, anyone that's motivated so um, and that wants to, to be better at, at what whatever that is or or improve their health so whether it's a performance whether it's an energy level or whether it's just feel better I think that's the um that's the thing for me like you don't know how good you can feel until you are nailing your nutrition and it doesn't have to be difficult like I don't spend hours in the kitchen but I certainly like to have my meals ready and organized for the week because I notice the difference if I don't but um yeah I do do some consultations online and then um if for whatever reason we can't find a time that works I have a lot of great people in my team of dietitians at Health and Performance Collective who I would happily refer you to the right person so yeah email is probably the best way to connect and see if um, we can find a time that works. Wonderful. So I'll put all those links for Jess's um, websites and socials in our show notes and um, we can't wait to catch you guys in the next podcast. Thank you so much, Jess, for giving us all of your knowledge on this one. Thanks, Leanne.